Welcome back, and thanks again for tapping into Beyond the Hardwood. On today's episode, I featured Cabral Huff, head coach at Holy Innocence High School in Atlanta. And me and Coach Huff, we take it back and talk about his childhood growing up in Georgia, the morals and values his parents instilled in him that has made him the servant leader he has become today, his time at Morehouse and finding his passion for teaching, which is also translated to him coaching, the different stops he's made and the lessons and successes he has had at each of those levels, and the impact that himself, along with other coaches, are making with the Embrace Us platform. So stay tuned as I tap in with Coach Huff coming up next. Coach Huff, man, how's everything going? Oh, man, it's good, man. I, I can't complain. Uh, excited for the opportunity uh, to hopefully get some gems tonight and, <laughs> and uh, hopefully help somebody, man. Uh, you know, I've been blessed that people have helped me along the way, so uh, hopefully I can give back and help them with, with something I'm able to, to, to give on, on your platform, man. You've been good to me, man. I've listened to a lot of them and, and gained some knowledge. Hey man, shoot! When I get when I get people like you on here, man, shoot! It only helps me out and helps everybody else out, man. So you know we gotta we gotta give our kudos to you, man. You've been doing great things in that Atlanta area for a while, man. And I know a lot of people want to hear your story, so you know we had to make this connection to get this get this episode rolling. Well, I appreciate it again, man. I appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Like uh, like I said, man, it, it's been real informative, real helpful. Uh, real impactful for uh, a lot of coaches uh, just across the, the country, man. Right. No, for sure, man. I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, man, I know we could go back and forth all day <laughs> patting each other on the back <laughs> and, man, giving, giving each other, you know, the real. But uh, let's go ahead and, you know, hop right into it, man. So so obviously, man, you, you, you born and raised in Atlanta, you know, Kind of talk about how it was for you, man, um, growing up in Atlanta. And, well, first, man, kind of, what side of Atlanta are you from? Man, I'm, I'm born and raised southwest Atlanta, uh, Ben Hill to be exact, um, right off Camelton Road, Fairburn. Um, and, uh, you know, grew up to great parents, man, who, who, who tried to instill in me the right things and uh, allowed me as the only child to, to, to grow um, they were older. My parents were older, so uh, I kind of grew up as an old soul, being the only child uh, with older parents. You know, um, they were hard, but they were fair. Um, I wasn't able to do some things some other kids were able to do. You know, I had to tell my parents where I was going at all times. Uh, right. If I was staying at night, they had to talk to their parents. So a lot of old school stuff going on there. <laughs> right, right. Man, and and kind of talk about man, just you know the values. Obviously, you know you grew up only child, and um, you say you know your parents had a lot of older ways with how they you know you raised you, and so kind of talk about you know looking back now, how those you know you know the morals and values you grew up you know learning from them, how that's helped you in in, in your coaching career up to this point. Man, I I think the biggest thing that it helped me with was was being a servant leader, man. I go back and I look at my father, man, and the toughest thing I remember my father being able to do is telling somebody no if he was trying to help them. Right. Um, and at times when you were growing up, you didn't really understand that as much. But now as a grown man, I understand what it means to be a servant. 
um, not only him serving others, but him serving our household. Uh, my mom and my dad, you know, giving of themselves so I could have a better life. You know, they sacrificed to send me to private school, first through fifth grade, to make sure I was ready to, to step into the public school realm and middle school and high school. They sacrificed for me to play sports, um, sacrificed time to get me to wherever I wanted to do. Um, if I said I wanted to do it and they could make it happen, they sacrificed to make sure that was that, that was something they wanted to do. Um, that I, And so when I can't transform that over to, to me coaching, man, I pour everything I have into my student athletes, man. I, I give them everything I've got to try to get them to, to where they want to be. You know, I, I truly believe in transforming and empowering them to being the man that they're called to be, whatever right. that may be. A lot of times you just think about on the basketball court. Yep. But it's really about in life, man. Um, you know, been blessed to have some that have done some great things in basketball, but I also have some that have gotten married, become great fathers, become great husbands, and have done some great things just in the communities that they're able to serve right now. Nah, man, that's big time, man. And, you know, that's that's one thing that, you know, off the rip I realized about you before we even had any type of interaction is that, you know, you do a lot of things, man, to, to give back to the young men and women which you helping in that community. Um, so, nah, man, that, that's love. That's love, man. So, man, let's kind of, you know, get back on, on you a little bit, though. So, obviously, you go to – you ended up attending uh, Benjamin E. Mays High School. Now, in high school, did you play sports coming up? I, I did, man. I, I I dabbled a little bit in, in football and, and baseball, but basketball was my love, man. Um, it's what I did growing up. Um, I was kind of tall at that period of time, you know, coming up as a middle schooler, you know. Uh, I probably stopped growing. I think when I got to about ninth grade, I was already 6'4". <laughs> <six, four. laughs> oh, then wow. I kind of wow. stopped. Um, but, uh, you know, being that size, man, obviously I took a love to basketball. Um, I loved everything about it, man. And, uh one of my best friends from, from, from growing up, man, he, he reminded me probably just last year that I told him when I was about 13 years old that I was going to be a basketball coach. And I, I didn't even remember that. Right. Um, but it was just something that I really I really wanted to do. Um, I would study the game even back during that time, you know, watch watch games, all kinds of, you know, as long as my parents would let me watch games, I, I would watch them. Yeah. Um, and, and so growing up in Atlanta, man, it was a little bit different than it is now. Uh, because back then there were only three AAU teams. You had the Atlanta Celtics, uh, you had um, Team Georgia, and then you had uh, obviously the Georgia Stars, um, and that was it. So if you weren't able, if you, I say I wasn't good enough to play on one of those three teams. <laughs> so you you just did your you did your work with your high school coach, man, or, right. you, or you tried to go to the gym to work, man. And probably the biggest memory of growing up in Atlanta, man, that I can tell anybody was. I would get up in the mornings during the summertime, um, especially when I was in high school uh, and even during college, man, and I would go to run and shoot. It was a place where anybody who's from Atlanta, and sometimes people who are not from Atlanta know what run and shoot was about. If you could play, that's where you went. But I would go there at about 7 o'clock in the morning for about two hours and put in work, work on my jump shot, do the things that, that I wanted to get better at, man. And, uh, it, it's kind of what I carry over now to my guys, man. If you want to get better, you got to put in the work. Right, uh, but run and shoot. That if you're from Atlanta, you grew up back in the day in Atlanta. That's an Atlanta staple that anybody can tell you about. They can tell you some some great stories about the games that went down um, at run and shoot. I was about to say it's a lot of memories in that place, huh? 
oh man some 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 great memories uh <laughs> <laughs> that uh you, you know if you got put off the court man you might not get back on that night i just say that <laughs> tell you and i'll tell you what's different what's, what's different too man is that a lot of the kids now they don't understand this part as a young player if you got picked to play with some older guys your job was to play defense and pass the ball Right. You better not take right. a shot unless you unless you had a wide open layup. I was about to say they're gonna let you know about yourself real quick, huh? Oh man, they're gonna let you know real quick. <laughs> man, that's big time, man. Definitely, definitely, man. So, man, obviously, like I said, man, you you ended up going to Mays High School. You finished up, and then you had the opportunity to attend Morehouse there in Atlanta. Um, you know, for those who don't know, obviously, Morehouse is at HBCU across from Spelman, so. Talk to us kind of about that time, man, and, and, and what were you doing during, you know, that time you were there in regards to, you know, kind of finding your way to get into coaching. Now, was it something where you was kind of just going to school just to get your degree, you know, you kind of put coaching on the back burner or were you kind of doing things, you know, in a sense, you know, in your free time, you know, kind of staying involved with the game, knowing that, you know, your path would be to become a coach one day. Kind of talk to us about that. Man, I, I truly believe that things happen in your life that change the trajectory of your life uh, for the better. Um, and you may not even know it at the time. You may think it's something that happens that's not good. And right. so for myself, um, playing basketball in high school and getting hurt uh, between my 11th uh, grade, my junior season and my, my senior season, doing summer basketball, a guy undercuts me and I fall on my hip. Mm. And... Um, I just thought, you know, it was a minor injury. I actually tried to go back in the game, got a rebound, outletted the ball, but I couldn't run. But after a couple of days, I was fine. Um, my mother's best friend was a nurse. Okay. She said, just go have um, Cabrera go get checked out uh, to make sure everything's okay. And uh, unbeknownst to us, I had a benign tumor on my hip that had been there my whole life. Mm. And uh, if they hadn't found it when they found it, I would have probably had to have – I'm not even going to say probably. They told me I was going to have to have Bo Jackson reconstructive hip surgery at the age of 25. Wow. Um, and so that changed the trajectory of my life, trajectory of my life, because at that time, all I thought about was basketball. Right, right. Uh, playing, you know. But after that happened, not being able to play my senior year, even, you know, having the opportunity to now sit down and say, okay, what do I want to go to school for? Where do I want to school? go to school and it, is it a place that's going to help me for my next 40 years? And ironically, that place was Morehouse, partly because my pastor, uh, who I, I looked up to as a mentor, was a professor at Morehouse. Okay. And I chose to go to Morehouse, and it, it, it truly, again, changed the directory of my, trajectory of my life uh, from not only the best my friends who, who are now continue to be my best friends, but everything about it. I ended up majoring in English thought I wanted to be a journalism, uh, to go into journalism, which is why I majored in English. Um, and I realized that at that time, there weren't a lot of African-American journalists, you know, because I wanted to be a broadcaster on TV. Right. And so the next thing that kind of happened in my life was, well, let me find a plan B. And many times, plan Bs become plans A's, plan A's in, in God's mind. Right. So I just started to, do, to take some education classes at Spelman, our sister school. And I realized that I really liked teaching. Um, and during that time, I said, well, I really like teaching. Maybe I like coaching. And so I got into coaching my church league team. 
So I'm 19, 20, and I'm coaching 16, 17, 18-year-olds, you know, who, who didn't make their high school team, but they still wanted to play. Right. Um, and that's where the love started, man. And, you know, we were, we were successful there. And, you know, again, the trajectory of your life changes. You know, I graduated. I had this goal. Of, I made, wanted to make sure I graduated in four years. I wasn't a summer school person. So I said I was never going to have to go to summer school. <laughs> right. So me trying to, to get that to, to get that dual degree in education, I, I wasn't I wasn't going to do that to mess up my goal setting. So I did teach for America, which uh, if anybody knows anything about that, they they take you through a, a extensive summer institute and they place you uh, at different places, either in the inner city or the rural areas of America, across America. And it was very ironic that I, I did teach for America, and they placed me back in Atlanta, Georgia, um, wow. and, and being placed at Booker T. Washington High School, which was uh, an inner-city school right down from then the Georgia Dome, what's now Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yep. Uh, I mean, you could – it's probably five minutes away uh, if you walk, closer than that if you drive, which is really the closest high school to the AUC, which is Atlanta University Center where Morehouse, Spelman, at that time, Morris Brown and Clark Atlanta are. Um, it was it was mind blowing, and then the fact that as soon as I got hired, they hired me to be their JV basketball coach. Mm-hmm. So that's really how my career got started. Right, no, for sure, man, and, and that's actually, man, I'm glad you hit on that because that was actually leading up into my next question for you. Um, you graduate, like you said, in four years, and then you know you get your first gig as being you know the JV boys coach. Um, and assistant varsity coach over at Booker T. Washington. But at that time, you were also the head baseball coach as well. Um, <laughs> oh, I wore, I, wore many, I wore many hats. I was about I to was, say. Uh, head varsity, I was the head varsity baseball coach. Um, I taught English, so I, I taught ninth and 12th grade English, and I was also over the newspaper and yearbook of the school. Man. So you can imagine, you know, being a 21-year-old doing all those things, coming straight out of college, you know. <laughs> Um, it right. helped me with my organization. I'll definitely tell you that. Um, right. and, and it helped me, you know, being over the yearbook, you have deadlines, which mm-hmm. kind of goes back to, you know, you wanted to be in journalism. So with those deadlines, it, it almost, it, it helped me become, become a man, to be honest with you, right. um, and how you want to do things. Um, and I, and although I'm a basketball coach, when I was able to coach baseball, it, it taught me a lot about who I am as a coach right now, because, you know, we always have obstacles that, that are in front of us. Right. And we can use excuses or whatever we have to why we can't be successful. And one of the excuses we could have used at Washington High School coaching baseball was the fact that there's no middle school baseball in Atlanta public school system. So once they stopped playing, you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the rec leagues, um, they don't play again until they get to high school. And so you can use that as an excuse of why we shouldn't be good. And the first year I took over that program, we were one in twenty-one. There are a lot of mm. people who would have said, "Man, I'm not doing this anymore." Right. Um, but what I did is that I bought in, and, and and we got better. You know, I sent we we as a team went to the Parkview Wood Bat Summer League, where there had never been a, a, a inner city team go before, and we continuously got better. And the last year I was the head coach there, and I. To this day, it's probably the one thing, one of the one things that stings me the most is that we missed the playoffs by one game. Uh, we were in probably the toughest league 
that you could be in with perennial powers of St. Pius and Maris and North Atlanta and Columbia and Blessed Trinity. So you got three private schools, so you know those guys can play baseball. And right, right. North Atlanta is on the, 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 the high end, wealthy end of, the, of town, so they can play. And Columbia had built the program, and we were up 12-8 versus, versus St. Pius, man. And we misplayed a, 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 a pop slide. They ended up winning 13-12, and we missed the playoffs by one game. Mm. Uh, so that 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 bugs me even to this day. <laughs> right, I bet, I bet, man. Shoot, <laughs> but man, you know, as we keep moving forward with this, man, and just your journey, and, and, and you know, to where you are today, man, you know, you've had a lot of you know success, you know, at that high school level, man, and and you know, obviously, you had stops where you know you were like we just talked about at Washington High School, and then you know you were at Dutchtown High. Um, you know, and then Cedar, you know, Cedar Town, you know, and you've had all these stops, man, so many lessons and so many lives you've impacted during that time. And then you decide you want to, you know, take a, another leap um, and, and you become the head coach of uh, the professional ABA and WBA teams there in, uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in the city with the Rome Knights. Man, so kind of talk about, you know, that, that year – Really, it was it was a few months, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? it, it, um, yeah, it, it was. It, it all happened quickly, man. It was. Um, so you know, obviously, when it, when you go from being an assistant or a JV coach, and you you want to you want your own program, right? And so um, I was blessed to, to to have my own program. Um, so becoming the first head coach at Cedartown, African American head coach, um, it was a great a great experience to, to get your head first head coaching job. Right. But it was tough because both my parents died mm. um, during that year. Uh, my mom died of, of lymphoma. Uh, it had went into remission, but it came back in July. And by August, she was gone. So she never right. got a chance to see me coach uh, as a head coach um, of a varsity team. And then by February, my dad was gone. Wow. Uh, he just died of a broken heart. My parents had been married for 35 years. Um, so I was never able to put my heart into Cedartown the way I needed to, uh, in addition to the fact that I was born and raised in Atlanta, grew up in the city, and Cedartown is more rural. Um, There's a difference in being, you know, from inner city Atlanta to to going to rural Cedartown. Um, And I was never able to to ingrain myself in that community the way I needed to because of the death of my parents. And so when I saw the opportunity – uh, of the Rome Knights and Gladiators of the ABA and WBA, um, I felt it was a chance to turn over a new leaf to uh, start anew. And so I, I took that that opportunity, uh, and I learned so much from it, man. You know, from the opportunity to have Sam Mitchell, who was the head coach of Toronto Raptors, come watch my team and, and work my guys out because they needed uh, a player at the time. You know, those kind of things I will never forget. And I'm able to pass on to, to, to other guys. But I can also tell guys about the, the hardships of, of coaching minor league basketball before there was a, a G League. You know, right? Yeah, it was good. It could be good for a month. And, and, and the next thing you know, the team is folded. You know, yeah. I, I took that job in, in late February, early March. And by May, the job was gone. Mm. The money had run out. Right. So um, you talk about hardships and how you're able to overcome that. Um that's a true example of how you're trying to overcome that. Man, that's a lot right there, man. Sorry again for hearing about your parents like that, man. That's who. 
that can hit. That can hit. I was about to say, man, that can hit home for a lot of people. Um, oh, man, I, I would tell anybody, man, cherish those times, especially during the, the pandemic that we're going through right now, man. Cherish the opportunities and times that you have with, my, with your parents, man. Um, for sure. There's not a day that I don't wish that I could have a conversation with my mom or my dad. Mm. Uh, that they can see any success or any failures that I went through since that time. Right. Just cherish the opportunities. Nah, man, I know they they up there looking down on you, man. Proud of where you're at and, you know, and how, how much you've grown, you know, and so forth, man. You know, they still with you in spirit. So that's the main thing that you know at the end of the day. Um, no, nah, much love, much love. But, man, we're going to keep it moving, man. Um, so, again, you know, you're with, you know, the Rome minor league team, man, for a year. You know, obviously you did that few months as a head coach, and then you was uh, the dobo for them for – right around maybe a, a, about six months, seven months, you say, somewhere around there? Yes. Um, yes, sir. And then you uh, go to take over as the varsity boys coach at uh, Atlanta International um, before, you know, kind of getting into that a place, I guess, that you were at for a while in St. Francis in which you were the assistant AD there. And, and obviously you've had you had a – you know, a lot of success there, man. Five straight appearances to the state tournament. You know, you won the state championship in 2013-14. And, you know, you even state runner-up the year before that. So, man, just kind of talk about, man, just, you know, building uh, – I don't want to say culture because, you know, obviously when you first when you first get to a place, uh, I feel like you, you, you're you establishing um, – what's the word I'm looking for um, – Man, I, I'm going blank right now. Is but you're but you're but you're establishing habits in a sense before you yep. establish a culture. It's a word for it. It's going to come to me at some point. But uh, <laughs> but but man, kind of talk. When it comes, you just you just yell it out. Yeah, yeah. As soon comes, as it comes, I'm gonna yell it. As soon as it comes, I'm gonna just yell it. But but man, just kind of talk to us about you know how it was for you taking over that program. You know, especially when you're still wearing hats. Because if I'm not mistaken, you were you were teaching English there as well. Um, and some yes. other classes and you're the assistant AD and, you know, you're, you're establishing this, you know, this, this team, um, and the success, you know, you're turning it around, man. So kind of talk about, you know, how, how I was doing that and, and kind of, you know, flipping St. Francis into, you know, a school that people didn't want to play against, you know, in a sense. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I think every situation prepares you for the next situation. Um, so there would be no me at St. Francis in there wasn't a meet at Atlanta International. Um, coming off coaching the ABA team and being a, uh, the Dobo form, uh, I wanted to get back in coaching after that fell through. And the only job that was out there was the Atlanta International job. And everybody but my mentor, who was the guy I worked for as an assistant at uh, Booker T. Washington named Virgil Amy, everybody else told me not to take that job because they hadn't won. They didn't really believe in athletics. But he and I believed that I could do something at that school, and right. um, we were able to kind of to, to to push it right to the precipice of, of getting to the state tournament. Um, and they had the most wins they had had in so over six, seven years. Um, and, and in that season, we we, we beat St. Francis. Um, and to this day, <laughs> if you want to go player by player, talent by talent, I have no idea how we did that. Right. Uh, but we did. We beat St. Francis um, at their place, as a matter of fact. And so 
as the off season came, I was just calling St. Francis to schedule a game for the next year, not knowing they had a job opening. And at that time, the AD says, would you be interested in, in, in interviewing for our job? Um, and mm. my life changed again. Right. Um, um, to take over a program that, you know, were they, were they a, a, a basketball team that had won some games, um, they had previously, you know, had some players, uh, Trevor Gaskins, um, Kevin Willis's uh, nephew, who um, had played there. Um, so they, they had had some players but never sustained success. So when I get to the program, you know, obviously everything I had done previously prepared me uh, for what I was going to do there, you know, teaching classes, the organizational part. But it was more about building a program. How do you build it from scratch? And not just at, you know, the high school level, but building it from your middle school. And that's really yeah. what was done, man, um, was building it from scratch and, and getting those kids in the gym and them loving the game of basketball. And, you know, St. Francis is now a perennial power. You know, they're always playing in beach ball. They're always playing mm -hmm. in, in City of Palms. You know, they're currently back-to-back -back state champions here uh, in Georgia for their classification. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's not a, a slap on, on my back to say I, I was a person that started it. Um, but I just love the fact that, you know, you, you know what you've done and really building something when it can carry on after you're gone. That means it just wasn't uh, something for a moment. Exactly. And it was a real movement, if that makes sense. And I think what we were able to do and accomplish, you know, the assistants that I had there, Mike McCarr, Drew Catlett, who's now the head coach, Greg Moultrie was my coach, my assistant coach when I first got there. He's now the head coach of South Cobb High School here in Atlanta. You know, those are some of the guys that, you know, Scott Kane, who's now assistant at Burkmar, those are some of the guys that helped us establish that culture, those habits, everything about that program. Uh, to help us get that thing rolling, man, and you know, it, it was it was a blessing to be able to coach uh, in, in North Fulton, Alpharetta area, at St. Francis High School. Uh, but those players, now I'll tell you this: those players made me a better coach. Now, right, right. <laughs> you no, know, no matter how many X's and O's I, I was able to draw up, uh, <laughs> definitely had some, right. some some Jimmys and Joes on those teams. You know, I remember plenty of guys coming through our gym and saying, "Man, your team is." It's bigger than, than our team at college level. Um, but those guys were so good. They loved to play for one another. Mm -hmm. um, they were big about building a legacy, leaving a legacy. Um, so I remember telling them all the time, like, you can go anywhere else and average 30 points a game. Um, but if you stay here and maybe average 17 to 20 to 22, then you can leave a legacy where you can bring your kids back. You can bring your family back and say, this is something that we were able to accomplish. Right. And, and it's so ironic that They've been able to do that, and a couple of those guys had their jerseys retired. Um, and I was able to participate in their jersey retirements. Um, so their jersey numbers are hanging from the rafters at St. Francis. So um, it's uh, every time I think about them, I, I think about those times of starting out, being in a weight room that had a hole in the floor mm. to, to where they are now, uh, to where I was having to send – I was having to send emails about the colleges to beg them, you know, please come watch our players come work out right, to uh, right. to not be able to put my phone down because they were calling me about when we were working out. Um, <laughs> but it was a blessing. Man. It was a blessing. And it goes back, man, again to what we talked about at the beginning of this about, you know, being a servant leader. And, you know, man, again, your story, man, your testimony has been nothing short of that just from – 
what you know you've told us and you know what the people listening are hearing man so just gotta give you your you know your, your props for that man and, and obviously you know you were there for uh six years at st francis and then you know again you take another leap you know and, and go you know mm-hmm. decide to to go to the college ranks you know and you get an opportunity to go to georgia southern uh still in the state you know as a dobo and you, you know you did that for a year and then had the opportunity to go to alcorn state man so kind of talk about you know what led you to make that move um and, and what are some things that you know kind of the college game kind of helped you with coming back to uh the high school level Oh man, no no problem, man. It was um, I had a goal of always trying to get to that next level of coaching college, and then I can tell anybody that's listening to this is that you never know when your opportunity will come. Uh, you never know who's watching, and you never know what you're going to have to do to accept that opportunity. And I say all that to say this: so obviously we had every any college coach come through our gym. Uh, during our time at St. Francis. And mm-hmm. um, after we had won the state championship, Georgia Southern actually had an assistant job to come open. And I applied for the job. You know, I saw it. I applied for it. And, and Coach Mark Byington, who was the head coach of Georgia Southern, reached back out to me. And he says, Coach, uh, obviously I've been in your gym. I know what you're about. Um, I got your information. Um, but I've already talked to a guy about the job, and I believe he's going to accept it. Um, if he doesn't accept it, then I, I'll reach back to you, out to you. Um, but just just know that 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 I understand that you want to get in this game. So he calls me back after the guy accepts it, lets me know that the guy accepts it, and says, "Coach, I really like your stuff and I really like what you do. <clears throat> so if there's ever an opportunity that comes, you know, here at Georgia Southern, you'll be the first person to, that I reach out to." Right. And, and and coach, you know, when you hear that, sometimes you go, "Okay." Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's a that's a typical answer. Exactly. Um, but truth be but truth be told, Mark Byington was true to his word, and it was a Thursday before Memorial Day, and I get a call from from Mark Byington that says, "Coach, I told you I was gonna call you back if I had something that um that came up. I have a director of basketball operations job. I know it's not on the floor, but I know you want to get into college, and it's a great opportunity. Would you mind coming down tomorrow, um, and let's talk about it." And so I, I took the opportunity. I went down. We discussed everything that was going to happen with the job. And driving back was the toughest drive I had to, 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 to drive back because I knew in my mind driving back I was going to accept that job, which I did. Right. But it was tough to have to tell those guys who – we were bringing everybody back from a state championship winning team. Mm. We were bringing everybody back. So, you know, you can't ever say you're going to guarantee anything. But right. we were pretty close to probably going back to back, which they end up doing right. after I left. But Man. tell those guys that I, that I was leaving, um, that was tough. But they understood because we always talked about dreams and fulfilling your dreams. And although it was tough and there was some tears, they understood that. Um, and it was, to me, it was probably been the most life-changing experience of my life other than, you know, when I had the injury in high school because that everybody thinks they know what coaching college basketball is like and what you have to do until you get there. Exactly. And being a dobo is 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 the main job of understanding every little thing about coaching at the next level. Mm-hmm. What the head coach has to think about, what the assistants have to think about, even the uh, the, the weight training, strength training, strength and conditioning coach has to think about. You know, you've got to organize the gym time. When coach says he wants to practice, you got to make sure the gym is prepared and ready. You're in charge of the managers, and, 
and we didn't have a video coordinator, so I'm in charge of video. Um, and you know what that entails at Division One level. Yep. You know, the scouts for the next game, coach wants the next five on his desk, you know, right <laughs> after the game ends from the previous yeah. game. Right, right. Not before. Um, uh, so you, you've got that. you got to have the travel. You know, I still was in charge of four guys that I was over as far as academics. Um, you know, you've got to be at every, you know, workout, even though you can't get on the floor. Yep. Uh, you got to be at every time they're going to, to weight training. You, you're, you're doing checks of their classes. So it was it was everything, community service. It was a, a bit of everything. And I think that taught me the most about college basketball, that I didn't miss any little part of it. And so what it did, I thought I was an organized person. But what it did for me coming back to high school or even to the next spot when I got to, to Alcorn State mm-hmm. was it made me pay attention to every detail and why every detail mattered if you're trying to be successful. Right. Um, and, and, and although, you know, I didn't draw up a play, uh, I didn't do a workout, you know, when I was at Georgia Southern, I do think, you know, the organization and the things that we were able to do, you know, coach never had to worry about, know what time the bus was coming when we when we got somewhere or what time you know we were gonna have a shoot around or or whatever in the gym or the, or the, or the place we went um and i think that played an integral part in us going 22 and 9 22 and 9 that year which was the first winning season georgia southern had had in about six years and we played for the conference championship in the sun belt that year yep. um and unfortunately it was the worst championship game ever uh, <laughs> what i mean by that was the the lowest scoring championship game. I think it, it was, was thirty nine to thirty seven. Yeah. We played at eight o'clock the, that night, um, the previous night, and the championship game was twelve noon the next day. And it's funny because Georgia State and Georgia Southern, the two Georgia schools in the Sun Belt, were playing for the championship. Yep. And we had two of the pretty best offenses in the league that year. And he had the final score was thirty nine to thirty seven. And then I always tell, you know, Coach Hunter and those guys who are now at, at Tulane, uh, but obviously I got a chance to know those guys pretty well being from the state. Right. I always would tell Coach Hunter and Claude Purdue especially, I would say, now you know if we had beat y'all, there's never a Ron Hunter moment falling off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, man. I tell, um, I tell people all the time because that year that y'all were so good, man. Like I remember I was a senior at South Al. And, and I remember, man, that how low scoring that game was, and we just all on the bus going back to school from the conference tournament. We like, yo, yep. like and everybody. We was like, man, like, cause if I'm not mistaken, the championship game was on Sunday. Um, yes, yes, yeah, it was on Sunday. That's what I thought, man. And you know, obviously the league that year was was packed with talent. You know, RJ Hunters. Oh and, man, I, and even y'all, man. I mean, y'all had y'all had um, the Jelani Hewitt and, and Jelani Hewitt. Like, 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 think about this, man. That, uh, people don't put. I don't think people respect the Sun Belt enough as exactly. they should with, yep. with the teams that are in it. You know, the UT Arlingtons. Um, you know, App State, Georgia Southern, yep. uh, Georgia State. Shoot, Louisiana uh, Monroe Island, that year was good, pretty good, Louisiana too. Louisiana Monroe was good. Louisiana Lafayette is always good. Like, yep. there are dudes that come out of that league. And, and you talk about that game, 39-37, where R.J. Hunter, Kevin Ware, uh, Ryan Harrell, you know, those are guys that were on Georgia State. And we have Eric Ferguson, uh, Jelani Hewitt, Trent Weideman. Like, yep. we had guys yep. on our team, too, Curtis Diamond, that could really score the basketball. And, you know, we missed the opportunity at the end and went to win the game, man. And uh, it was tough, man, because, you know, 
your first year in college, you get to the conference championship, there's a chance, man, we may be going to the NCAA tournament. Right. And uh, didn't get that opportunity, man. But, you know, blessed, man. I worked with some great guys at Georgia Southern. You know, Mark Byington taught me a lot. You know, I, I, I use this quote even to this day. I remember the, the first thing when I got him the job, he always told us to find a way. Um, no matter what we were doing, you got to find a way. Don't make excuses. Don't tell me why we can't get it done. Find a way to get it done. Right. And I think that that one quote stuck with me in everything that I've done since then. And it really prepared me for the next step that I had. We had at I had, excuse me, at All Point State. Um, you know, obviously the opportunity came up when when Coach Montez Robinson got the job there, uh, and he called and, and offered me to come there and. I remember going to Coach Byington about it and saying, you know, what should I do? He says, Coach, you're too good. You got to get on the road. It's your yeah. opportunity to get on the road. And um, I'm thankful for Coach, you know, Byington, the opportunity he gave me, and also Coach Robinson because I was I was a recruiting coordinator at Alcorn State. But most what people don't know about that time we go to Alcorn State, we walk into a program that was, I call it APR hell. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, we had so many sanctions, you know. All right. Couldn't recruit a JUCO that didn't have less than a uh, 3.0. You couldn't recruit a high school player that didn't have less than this. So we we were in we I mean recruiting was 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 extremely hard. And to be the recruiting coordinator in my first job on the road, you can only imagine, man. And then you know this is everyone knows the struggles of of, of budgeting when you're trying to recruit at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to go through we had to go through all that, but that always stuck in the back of my mind of finding a way. Right. So we always found, found a way, man. So I remember I used to tell Coach Robinson like because Coach I remember we were sitting in, in, in recruiting meetings and Coach Byington's thing was wherever you go recruit, don't just go to one gym. He right. always would say that. He said, yeah. Make sure you're able to get on more than one gym. And so I remember telling Coach Robinson, I said, Man, there are too many kids in Atlanta and all these surrounding places. I told him, I'm going to Georgia for a week. I said, don't worry about it. I'll find, I have a place to stay. Just worry about gas. It's not going to hurt the recruiting <laughs> budget. Thanks. But I'm, I'm going to hit at least three gyms a day. Right. Uh, and we got it done, man. And uh, We had success. You know, we went 15-15 and 15 that first year uh, in Coach Robinson's tenure at Alcorn State. And they hadn't had a non-losing season in 13 years. Exactly. And we were eleven. We were eleven and seven, I believe, in conference. I was about to say uh, y'all were second. In, yeah, y'all were second in con- yep. in that year. Yep, second in conference, and all this happens after starting on a fifteen day road trip. And let me let me mind you because I was I, I was saying because I was so good at Georgia Southern with travel, whether that's true or not. I was also over travel at All Point State. So imagine <laughs> you're, you're the recruit coordinator. And your first job with travel at Alcorn State is, all right, we got a 15-day road trip, which includes Indiana when Tom Crean is there, Portland when Eric Ravenel is the head coach at Portland, UTEP uh, when Tim Floyd is there. Um, so all those things, all those things were were, were, were there, you know, doing a 15-day road trip. Right. So, uh, so it was a. Uh, it was great times, but tough times. We just had to find a way to get it done, man. And we really did, man. You know, uh, Coach Robinson, you know, had a great five years there yep. at Alcorn State. And, uh, had Terrence Chapman, who had been, you know, at Central Michigan and and uh, and, and at um, Florida A&M as an assistant. So really got to pick his brain. And right. Alex Ireland, who's now the head coach of Dalton State, which is an NAIA program here in Georgia, he was also an assistant, man. And 
we just got it done, man. We found ways to get it done. I mean, a day in the life. So when we talk about people want to get into this college coaching business and they don't understand everything that it entails. So at all points State, I told you I was recruiting coordinator. I was over travel. You know, you, you think, okay, that's the basketball stuff along with everything else. Well, I also taught two PE classes because I have my master's in uh, coaching and athletic administration. Mm. So I would work guys out from 7 to 9 a.m. I would teach my classes from 9 to 11, and then I was in the office, you know, from 11 to 1. We had practice from 1 to 3, and then whatever else I need to get done. So that, that, that that's what we had to do to, to find a way to get it done, man. And it was a it was a fun year, man. It was a fun year because when they haven't when you haven't won somewhere in thirteen years, you can imagine the fan base of when you're winning. Oh, uh, exactly. It's a complete three sixty. Oh man, and Alcorn State has some great fans. You know, they call it the reservation down there because uh, it's in the, it's it, people say it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's like family, man. You once you get down there. Everybody loves you. They're going to support you. Um, and it starts with that football. You know, right. football is king down there. They, they, they've been to the SWAC championship in football, I think, six straight years. Uh, having won, you know, some of them and come up short in a couple of other ones. But it's a great atmosphere down there if you can get down there uh, to the reservation for a game, especially if they play Jackson State. Oh, I was about to say, I'm already knowing. I'm already <laughs> knowing, man. <laughs> One of my mentors who was at South, he graduated from Jackson State. So, like, man, when I tell you, he talks about that classic all the time and that and that rivalry, man. It, it, it gets it gets a little bit heated. Oh man, I, I would to be a part of two great rivalries, Georgia Southern and Georgia State. And Alcorn State and Jackson State, there is nothing like either one of those two. <laughs> you know, Georgia State and Georgia Southern, you know, neither one of them would, would say the other one's name. Yep. You know. Exactly. Um, so that, that's fun. And then, you, you know, you get to Alcorn State and Jackson State, both of them being in Mississippi about an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing like it, man. It's nothing <laughs> like it. Man, that's big time, man. That's big time. Well, man, why well, I got you on, matter of fact, and, and talking about Alcorn State, man, and, you know, like you just mentioned about that 15-day trip you took, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand, especially at the HBCU level, is that a lot of your early part of the season, you know, November to December, a lot of that non-conference time, it, it – you know, it entails a lot of those fifteen day travel days because, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. to you're trying to raise the money, you know, you gotta raise more money than some of these traditional, you know, mid majors. Man, so kinda talk about man, just how you know, how like hard it can be on the body, you know, traveling you know that meant amount of days because I know I read an article right. once and, and I and I knew about it already, but you know when I really read in depth about it was North Carolina Central, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and they were kind of telling their story about you know the travel, how much they travel in the in the in the off season. I mean, excuse me, in in the early parts of the the non conference um, before even having a home game, man. So kind of kind of hit on that real quick. Man, it's it's obviously tough, man. If I if I go back to that fifteen day, you know, road trip, man, it, you know, there's not you can fly to Jackson to, to some places, which obviously is an hour and thirty minutes away from from the Alcorn State campus. But to get where we were going, we had to drive in New Orleans, which is about a three to four hour drive on a bus. Right. Then you're flying where, wherever you're going. So now you get there when you land, you've got you know 
uh, practice that night in the gym. You may be playing the next day. Uh, and then, you know, you get to stay the night at that place, and then in the morning you're back on another flight to go somewhere else. And not to mention, you know, when we went to Portland, we had to lay over in, in San Diego before you get to Portland. So you can imagine, you know, taller guys, the space that you have on a plane. We're not right. chartering now. We're, yeah. we're on commercial flights. Uh, right. So you're talking about, you know, New Orleans to El Paso, Texas, to El Paso to lay over uh, in San Diego to go to Portland. Then from Portland, you fly all the way back to Corpus Christi because that's where we had to play Oakland uh, with Kay Felder, who had a run in the NBA. Right. We played in, a, in, a, in, a, in one of those, you know, invitational tournaments. We played them in Florida and them. Then you got to fly to Indiana, to Bloomington, you know, to, to play Indiana. And you're doing all that before you can even get home to maybe play a non-conference game um, or, or, you know, maybe a non-D1 right, where you can get a right. home game. Yep. Um, and so the way we kind of looked at it, man, not only just with the travel, was we tried to break our season up, man. Like, we kind of viewed that, not saying we didn't want to win, because we wanted to win those games now. But we looked at it as preseason. How can we get better each game? Right. What do we? What can we take away from this game to be better from when we got to conference play? And then once we got the conference play, it actually prepared us for that, man. You know, playing on that game, we're playing, you know, uh, the, the Indiana or playing Portland, man. All that stuff prepared us, man. And I don't think that was that was why we were able to compete in conference play, man. But that travel is it, it's serious, man. I, I think every HBCU goes through it. Um, at some particular time, and because you have to raise a certain amount of money um, at, at, what, at whatever program you're at, right. um, and it's not just the HBCU that that goes for low major division one period. Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss out on that. You know, they try to to put HBCUs in one category when the reality is all low major basketball programs generally are in the same boat. The number may be different, but exactly. they all have to raise a certain amount of money. Nah, for sure. For sure, man. And again, man, that that travel, man, and and just all that can be so, you know. Again, man, it can just be so hard, not only on the coaches, but but especially on the players who are taking classes, and and you know, you're missing yep. days, and and you know, you know, it can almost mess up your schedule, and man, it it can it can get a little bit wild, man. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's building a lot of things in these young men, as you know, just as well as I do. Um, you know, getting them oh, ready. Man, it, it, it definitely. It definitely built um, perseverance, yep. some toughness in us yep. um, that, that I don't think we would have had if we hadn't went through a 15-day road trip. We hadn't go through that travel. You know, um, I, I remember in that season, man, we we had a game when we were up three first Jackson State at, at Alcorn, and uh, we probably should have fouled. Um, but they hit a game time three and one in overtime. And that really could have been a turning point. Our season could have just started going down after that. Right. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think we lost the two other conference games after that. I think one was at Southern, and we lost to Texas Southern at home. Other than that, we, 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 we kind of rolled the rest of the way, including beating Jackson State at Jackson State that year. I was about to say, man, you probably just made a lot of people that's listening. If they at Jackson State, they probably about to about to go ahead and end it right now. Bring that up. Hey, man. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Coach Brent, I know Coach Brent, the head coach down there, and Coach Kisson Burt. 
I know those guys pretty well, man. So I know they don't want to. They don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, as we move forward, man, obviously after that year, uh, you you know you head back to Atlanta and you become the head coach at Duluth, and, and you know you were there for four years, if I'm not mistaken. Three, three. three years. Excuse me, it's three. All right, mm-hmm. three years. Um, and obviously during your time there, man, you know you went to three consecutive state tournament appearances, including back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances, and. You know, you had the most wins in a three-year span in school history. Um, so, man, kind of talk about, you know, your decision to get back on the high school level, man, and, and, and you know, and what the, the you know, the knowledge and what knowledge and wisdom, you know, you brought with you from the college game back down that helped you have, you know, success there at Duluth before uh, getting to your current spot. Uh, no doubt, man. I, again, things happen for a reason, and, you know, I think a lot of times people see the shiny suits of college basketball, but they don't understand, you know, the grind that goes into it. That a lot of times, the money that the coach that that Coach K and, and Cal and Roy and and Bill Self that those guys are making, right. you're not making at the low major level. Um, and so I I had a house here in Atlanta, and my tenant moved out, and it, and I had too many years in that house to be honest with you to just say I'm gonna sell it. And I know a lot of people say, well, man, did that mean you gave up on your dream? Uh, it doesn't mean I gave up on my dream because what I did, man, is that I sat down and I prayed about the situation. And I said, God, let your will be done, not mine. So close every other door that needs to be closed and open the door that needs to be open. Because in all honesty, Coach, I I did not – at first I did not want to go back to high school to be extremely transparent. Right. Um, but when God spoke to me, it told me that I needed to, to come back home and go to the loop. And, and when I say that, when God wants you to move, he will make everything right. So when I interviewed for that job at the loop, and I, and I told this story to some people before, you know, I had been a teacher. I had taught English so many years, but I wasn't prepared to go back in the classroom to teach English because I know how hard that is to get a program going to be teaching five to six classes a day, that's, that's pretty difficult. Right. Especially at a, a huge 7A school classification-wise here in Georgia, which means you got between 26 to 3,000, 2,600 to 3,000 students in the school. So when I went for the, the, the interview after they called me, after they finished, they asked me, did I have any questions? And I said, well, what would I be, what would I teach? Because in my mind, I thought, if they tell me I have to go back to teach English, then that was God's way of saying I need to, figure out what I'm going to do to, to stay at all Right. And they said, we're going to put you in ISS, um, and you'll be done by 12 p.m. every day. Mm. And I remember looking at them kind of crazy, like, like bewildered. Like, does that mean I'm going to get a full salary? Because I didn't understand that because right. I had never done that before. And they said, yes, you'll get a full salary. You know, we know about your, your pedigree and you're coming from college, so that's what we want to do. And I knew that's what God had in store for me then. Um, and so a lot of people would not have been able to say this, but I told them I had to finish out what my job was at Alcorn State. I was the recruiting coordinator. Right, and we right. had a, a class that we had to finish. And um, they allowed me to finish out that class, to, to finish recruiting that class out. Um, so I didn't officially take the job until it was the end of May, to be honest with you. And there are a lot of schools that probably wouldn't have done that. Right. Um, 
So that 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 was God's way of telling me, you know, it, it was time to move. Um, but they allowed me to stay on as recruiting, you know, to recruit that that class to finish that class out at, at Alcorn State. Um, and ironically, that next year with that class we recruited plays for the conference championship for Coach Robinson uh, versus Texas Southern. They lose by one in overtime in the conference championship. Mm. Um, so it, it was. That was part of the reason why, because I knew what we were building and what we were trying to do there. Right. Um, and, and the last recruit that, that was actually the last recruit that we got was a kid named Maurice Howard, uh, who was from Tallahassee. Uh, nobody was on him. And I remember going down to see him. Uh, and I remember getting back in the car and working out. And I called Coach Rob, Coach Robinson on the phone. I said, Coach Rob, hey, man, this kid didn't miss a shot in this workout. He's good. And he says, well, let's wait. I remember driving back. You know, as a sister, sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like, man, this kid good. And you, you're trying to push. You're trying to, you try so to seal the deal. Man, you're trying to seal the deal. So he says, well, let's go down in together. So we go down there. He watches. And I think in that workout, he maybe missed two shots. We're driving back. And he goes, yeah, you're right. We, we got to offer this kid. <laughs> kid in the <laughs> is up signing to Alcorn State and, and, he graduated this past year uh, and leaves Alcorn State as an all-time leading three-point shooter. So, um, you know, that that's why you, you finished the deal, man. But blessed to have an opportunity at Duluth, man. Taking over a program, you know, that Coach Eddie Hood, who was the guy that was before me, he had gotten it on track. You know, because before him, they had won since 1984, 85, where they went to the Final Four, right. and there was nothing. But, but Coach Hood had gotten on track. He had a, um, a state tournament appearance. It was just tough for him to sustain it, and he had just got it going. And when I came in, I, I took that same mentality of finding a way. I took that mentality of building from scratch, you know, getting in the gym and developing our guys, you know. Um, and, and what I kind of learned, man, is that taking going from college, going back to the loop is you got to learn to do things a different way at different spots, and you got to learn to do things um, – do things that are going to create challenges for the other team. And what I mean by that is that they've got to spend more time worried about you in their practice than they can't spend enough time worried about themselves. Exactly. Right. And so like at St. Francis, we were a strictly man-to-man, half-court team. Uh, we would dribble drive, um, four-hour one-in dribble drive. And so I get to Duluth, and we're about 6'2 to 6'6. And um, I realized nobody was pressing. So we pressed the whole game, but we switched everything. Ball screens, off ball screens, we switched everything. And it was something that I took from Georgia Southern that we did that we used to call, you know, 5X there, which was really successful. I don't know if you remember when you were at South Isle. We didn't uh, care if Trent oh, Ryan was out on the guard. I remember. <laughs> and so I took that, and that would blow up teams of what they were trying to do. And so we were able to use that to, to be successful. And offensively, I was able to take, you know, we were running ball screen continuity at Alcorn. Right. Coach Robinson was running. So I was able to take that, and we had the personnel to really make that work um, and incorporate a lot of ball screens. We had really good guards and, and guards that can make plays off the dribble, um, and we didn't want them standing. And it was really successful for us, man. And so successful that, you know, Lamont Smith is is at Arkansas Pine Bluff playing basketball. Um, 
Jalen Hodges went to Florida Tech after um, two years at Wallace State. Um, Adam Flagler was, was conference uh, freshman of the year uh, at Presbyterian and then transferred, and he's at Baylor. He'll get to play this year. Right. Uh, so so we had some guys, you know, Devin Evans, uh, who's at uh, Nebraska Omaha. So we had some guys, Trent Gordon, who's at um, who's at Gordon, uh, Juco right now. So we, we had some guys that, that, that were really good. And then I had to switch my third year there. Because right. something that we had done, we got a little bit longer and a little bit more athletic. Mm-hmm. And we had to re- reevaluate what we were doing. And so instead of switching all ball screens, now we blitzed every ball screen. Mm-hmm. And that really that gave people fits again. And instead of the man pressure stuff that we were doing, we did a lot more zone pressure, full right. court pressure, because we were more long, we were longer, uh, and we had more length. Um, and so those are the kind of things that I think you know. You talk about finding a way. You talk about adjusting. You know, um, those are things that I, w- I was able to take from that, that the college level, man. Uh, along with preparing my guys, I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've been blessed to have been able to do, even at St. Francis, prepare my guys to be successful at the next level that they're going to play at. Um, because I try to prepare them with, with how we practice. We do shoot-arounds before every game, how we work out, right. uh, how we put detail in our scouting reports. You know, it won't. It will never be a college scouting report, but it prepares them for what they will see at the next level for a college scouting report. We watch film, all that kind of thing, all those kind of things that prepare them. And I think that's what really made us successful, you know, at Duluth. You know, probably the biggest problem that I tell people is that though we were in 7A, which was the highest classification, we were a mid-major playing in a power five. Right. I say that because if anybody knows anything about Georgia, 7A has Pebble Brook, Norcross, Meadow Creek, uh, Wheeler, the list goes on. So first year in the Sweet 16, we lose to Colin Sexton at Pebble Brook. That team was loaded. Drew Drennan, yep, Colin Sexton, Elias Harden, Jared Jones. Then the next year in the Sweet 16, we lose to Norcross. B.J. Boston, um, Dalvin White, JoJo Toppin, <laughs> um, Kyle, Kyle Sturdivant. Uh, and then my last year, the Louis, we lose to Meadow Creek. Uh, Jameer Chaplin, uh, Jalen Benjamin, uh, uh, the Dunn kid who's at Temple. So, that, that kind of tells you what basketball is like in Georgia and who you have to go up against every single day right. um, when you try to try to win a championship. No, nah, for sure, man. And shoot, again, like like we've said all, you know, even even outside this podcast, man, Georgia is, you know, if not the top t- state, I should say one of the, you know, top states, you know, talent-wise, basketball-wise, you know, it's, you've always heard people talk about, you know, the North – you know, in regards to the basketball play and players and so forth on. But, man, a lot of that, you know, is starting to creep down to the southeast. And, obviously, Atlanta is a hotbed for it, man. Um, hey, man, you, you, you don't want to get me going about Georgia now. Man. Hey, I was about we, to. We can take it back to, <laughs> we can take it back to having coached at, at Washington. When I was at Washington High School, I was able to coach against Dwight, Dwight Howard and Javaris Crenton when he played you know, at Southwest Atlanta Christian, you know, right. uh, Lou Williams, you know, obviously what he did at, at South Gwinnett, yep. um, Vincent Banks at South Atlanta, um, and, and even to now, currently, guys that people know, Jalen Brown's playing the NBA, Malik Beasley, Kobe Simmons, Kaiser Gates are guys that I had who are, are now, you know, in the NBA. Um, you can talk about Wendell Carter, who's with the Chicago Bulls. Um, yep, we can just yep. keep going on and on down, down this list of guys, Colin Sexton, like we said, 
guys that have been able to play down here and play at a high level. There's a reason why colleges from all over the nation come to Georgia to come recruit. Exactly. Because there's a player from anybody. I don't care what level you're you're at. You know, from D3 to D1, from NAIA to JUCO, you can find you some players down here at Georgia, and not just in Atlanta. I mean, there are players in Savannah. Oh, you yeah. Know, that, that's oh, probably yeah. been one of the biggest successes that Georgia State was able to have is they got players that weren't even just from the metro Atlanta area, mm-hmm. the Malik Ben Levies and, and, you know, guys like that who were able to be successful for them. Um, you know, back during your time, you know, Trey Mitchell, who's at South Alabama. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is, is yeah. a guy. Right. From, from Georgia, who 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 coached Russ Williamson, who I know is your guy, exactly. uh, was yeah. able to recruit down. Who was able to recruit down here? So, you know, they're they're definitely guys down here that 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 can make plays, that can help programs. So, college coaches continue to come down here and recruit. And if, if there are any players or parents that listen, man, don't get discouraged. Like because we have so many players, at times players down here can get overlooked. You know, mm-hmm. I tell that story of the kid I coached Adam Flagler all the time and. I laugh about it to, to college coaches I talk to, but Dustin Kearns and that staff at Presbyterian was the only staff that, that believed that he could play at that level for whatever reason. Right. And he went in and showed out. And, you know, when Dustin was able to get the, uh, a new job at App State, you know, at first Adam didn't want to leave. And then he said, you know, I'm going to take a chance and see where I can transfer. And we were all, of, I'm not going to say astonished because we knew how he could play. But it went from having one Division One offer and scholarship to ever and anybody coming after him to transfer to their school. Right. Again, man, shoot, like I said, man, <laughs> we could we could talk a whole another hour about this. Uh, <laughs> but man, I ain't gonna I ain't gonna hold you up for too much longer, man. But this past year, you uh, got the opportunity to go to Holy Innocence and change that that program around and. And you know, and you and you took the team to the elite eight, man. So kind of talk to us about you know just making that move over to Holy Innocence, and then you know, uh, and then we'll get into like the last question I have for you. Uh, no problem, man. So, you a lot of times when you're you're at a place in your career, there are always certain jobs you kind of look at and say, hmm, whether you call it a dream job or a job you would definitely be interested in. You kind of look at it from afar and say, man, if that could ever happen, it's something I'd definitely be interested in. Right. Well, it just so happened that, you know, the athletic director there is Tony Watkins, who, you know, he and I are about the same age, you know, kind of grew up around the same time and been knowing him for a long time. And he became the AD the previous year. And, you know, when the job came open, uh, it was kind of a mutual interest. You know, he reached out to see was I interested and I was, and we began to discuss some things. So it was it was a great place for me to, to, to go um, because of the values that the school has, you know, a value that I have uh, about Jesus Christ being my, my Lord and Savior, about how it can, can impact men on and off the court, like we talked about transforming and empowering them to become the men they're called to be, and, and building that, that culture and that program at a school. You know, I didn't have to walk into a program that didn't have success. They had success. Right. The thing I had to do walking into this program was building a culture, which was kind of something different than I had to do at any other stop. And what I mean by that is having them understand what it meant to be early to practice. You know, um, what it means to, to, to know what a practice plan is like and get through it. Know what it means to how to warm up, how to have a workout. All those things that, you know, unfortunately 
they didn't understand. Right. But it was building that culture of accountability, you know, and competitiveness in practice that we were able to do. And I'll tell people, man, it, it wasn't an a, a easy job. You know, people come in and they see your resume and they expect things to change right away. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we started the year 2-13. and 13. And I'm not afraid to, to, to mention it was tough. Right. Uh, and part of that is because we had to, to, to let a top 50 player go. Um, and he wasn't the right first person for our program. Right. Uh, on both sides, maybe wasn't the right coach for him. He wasn't right for our program. Right. And, you know, he's a successful player. You know, he's going to have success at the next level. He's going to a power five school. But we weren't a family. You know, yeah. we weren't forget about me, I love you. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't doing the right things of what it meant to, to be successful on the court. No, we didn't have love and grace and playing for the person next to us, playing for our brother. And it, it was ironic that when they saw us hold him accountable and he was gone, we took off. And that's nothing to say bad about the player. I, I right. just think when that accountability factor comes in, it can change everything about your program. And it did for us. And we took off, and we, we ended up in the Elite Eight. <laughs> Ironically, we got beat in the Elite Eight by St. Francis. We were, we were, we were up one with, with, with about two and a half minutes left. Oh, uh, man. You know, we just, had, we, we just hadn't been in that spot, man. Right, uh, right. You know, with no shot clock yet, glad we're getting it in Georgia. You know, it's hard when they make a 7-0 run with that much time left in the game for us to get back in the game. When they can hold a ball, and there's no disrespect. Yeah. They have, they have some great players, um, but it just shows you how far we had come uh, just in the season. Um, and, and to even add more into it, that next morning or that night, those guys had texted each other about they didn't want that taste to be in their mouth again. So that next morning, they were already talking about when we start workouts, coach. Again, like you said, man, it's always hard. Especially when you got, like you said, man, a top player that you know is going like, you know, add value to that that program. But at the same time, man, if, if you know they can't get on board with the the culture and the things that you're trying to feed and build around that, you know, that school and so forth, on man, you know, you know, sometimes you know when you when you weed out the bad things or or the things that aren't necessarily good for for your team, man, that's when you see it really begin to blossom. Yeah. Man, it's, it's 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 so true, man. You better people make better players. For sure, um, for sure. So we gotta have, you know, I, a lot of people have heard the the RKG statement, the right kind of guys. You gotta have the right kind of guys in whatever program, college, professional, high school. You gotta have the right kind of guys that fit into what you're trying to do, on and off the court to be successful. Right. Rarely do you see teams that don't have cohesion that don't have chemistry, that don't have the right kind of culture, be mm-hmm. successful. And that, to me, I look at a team like Miami in, in the NBA playoffs, and that's what I see from Eric Spolster and that bunch that Pat Riley has put together. Yep. Like, there's a culture in Miami that that it's explainable, but when you really think about it, you wonder why everybody else doesn't have it. Right. Exactly. But you still got to have the right kind of guys, and some guys don't aren't able to fit and buy in into the culture, you know, in Miami, those guys, they get checked for their body fat. I want to say it's not every day, every week. There's some NBA players, who, they're not willing to do that. Right. They say they're one of the NBA teams who practice, really practice. Because if you know anything about NBA practices, 
a lot of times as the season goes along, it's more walkthroughs. It's more shoot-arounds because you're playing, you know, back-to-backs or, you know, they really practice a lot. So um, that culture down there in Miami is something I always look at and say, you know, if it can be done at that level, then there's something to be said about why it can be done at any other level. No doubt. No doubt, man, for sure, man. And, man, again, man, you've been pouring a lot of gems out here, man. I know a lot of us, man, we're going to take this, go back and chop it up and, and put it in our in our, in our our books, man, to, to, to you know, spread to, you know, the people we hope to make more change and, you know, and an impact on uh, on their lives, man. But, but you know, last thing man, I want to ask you is obviously during this time, man, during this pandemic, you know, since I've gotten to know you a little bit, you know, I've noticed that, you know, you've become a – a member or help start the um, embrace us platform mm-hmm. that you all have, man. Kind of talk to you know the people who don't know anything about what it is and, and, and what is it that you all are doing because I know it's, it's some different coaches in that. Um, but just kind of give us a you know a brief explanation about what y'all got in the works and especially with what's going on in our society. Uh, no doubt, man. So obviously, with everything that was going on, you know, the pandemic, the social unrest. Uh, and injustices and inequalities in this world. Uh, Embrace Us was definitely necessary uh, during this time. And it was really the vision of, of, of the head coach of Tennessee State, Coach Penny Collins. And, you know, he saw it first as a vision to, to reinstitute, to reorganize the Black Coaches Association. But as he was thinking about that, he said, you know what, it's even bigger than that. We've got to make more change than just having just about what we can do for coaches. Right. And so what happened was, man, he, you know, he brought it to, to myself and, and three other gentlemen, and we kind of brainstormed about what we wanted to do, um, which, was, which is our vision of to empower, transform, and promote using the game of basketball to enact change. Um, and how we do that, you know, we're going to take, you know, mental health, we're going to take social injustice, and we're going to take how, you know, we can promote others with uh, Embrace Us Next Up. Uh, with how the hiring practices are done in college basketball and beyond and try to really move the meter on this thing that's going on in our world, man. And uh, we've got female coaches uh, at the college level. We've got male coaches at the college level at every level. And what I mean by that, I mean we've got JUCO coaches, Division three, Division two, Division one coaches, head coaches, assistants. We've got ADs uh, of all levels. We've got media people. We've got some NBA people. Uh, we've got motivational speakers. We've got professors. So we're really trying to challenge this thing at every impact point that we can to really enact change in our communities, wherever those communities are. Right. Um, and so you're going to be seeing a lot of a lot of big things from us. You know, ironically, tonight is the first night, one of the first things that we did. And we had an Embrace Us Mental Health Summit with student athletes from some of the, the, the students, the student athletes from the programs that our, the people in Embrace Us are able to serve. And those student athletes, you know, a lot of times they always hear the adults talking, but the student athletes don't get a chance to talk. Right. So tonight they were able to, to, to talk with each other about what's going on in this world. How can they help one another? Because ironically, you know, a lot of times we're too quiet about what's going on in our life, not understanding that how it can impact someone else and save them or by having someone else talk to us to save us by going through what we're going through. So, that's one of the big things. That mental health thing is really big with us, and tonight was the, the, the starting point of that, man. So you're going to hear a lot more about Embrace Us and 
you know, the best thing about this time is not just when Embrace Us, um, which is a group that I'm a part of, but there have been a lot of great things about change that have been going on, man. And, you know, another part of what we, we want to do is, you know, we want to get police uh, enforcement involved with how we can make change with how our student athletes interact with police, what we need to do, and how they need to see things from a different aspect. So we want to make sure we have forms, you know, particularly at the Final Four, um, you know, uh, of how we're able to do that. You know, that's going to be real big for us. Hopefully we have a Final Four. Right. We missed it in Atlanta this year, but, but if, if we're able to do that in Indy, in Indy and, uh, and I believe New Orleans for the women, that's, that's going to be something big for us there, as well as promoting the next up, man. You know, many times, you know, African-Americans and even women, you know, if you look at women's basketball, you'll be surprised about how many women's coaches are actually head coaches, especially yeah. at Division One level. Right. So how do we make sure that women's coaches, how do we make sure that African-American coaches are, are, are represented as more than just recruiters, are represented as, as people who can really coach? You know, the big term right now is, is being a CEO of your program. Well, if you are only able to recruit, if you don't aren't allowed to, to scout, if you're not allowed to do workouts, if you're not allowed to, to sit in on budget meetings or understand what the budget is, then you can't be considered a CEO of any program. Exactly. So that's what we really need to help our, help our uh, women coaches, our African-American coaches, our young guys who are trying to come up in this game, help them in what they need to know. And, and if anybody can take anything from my experience is that being a head coach can help you so much because you're able to do all those things no matter what level it is. We've got to stop being caught up in level. High school, Division One, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO, and understand what we're here for. We're here to serve these student-athletes. And if you're able to serve those student-athletes and it's God's plan and you're and God willing, then you'll be able to, to use your service to move up to whatever level that may be. Exactly, man. And, again, man, y'all got some big-time big stuff going on over there with the Embrace Us, man. And, and you know, it, why don't you do this? Is, is there, like, a website or something that if people want to look more into it that they, they sh- that they should go to? I know I know there's a Twitter page. Um, why, don't, why don't you put that out there, man? If, yeah, if they go to that Twitter pray, page, which is just, you know, Embrace Us, uh, Embrace Us One on Twitter, It'll have all that information on there that you can go to. Um, you can kind of see some of the people that are involved in this thing uh, from all across. You know, we're, we're on the West Coast. We're up north. We're down here in the south. You know, we're in the Midwest. We, we've got people from everywhere. And just connect with us, man. You know, um, there's ways to get involved if that's what you want to do. Um, and like I said, there's going to be some things coming up where we're going to try to promote, you know, some next up-and-comers in the game. Um, so definitely go to that Twitter page, man. It's going to have everything about us. Embrace us one on Twitter, um, and you'll find all that information. No, for sure, man. For sure. Definitely got to get that out, man. One more people to see what y'all doing, man. Again, like I say, y'all doing some great stuff over there, man. So, well, man, I ain't going to hold you up for too much longer, man. I do appreciate you taking the time to hop on here with me, man. But before, whenever I finish these episodes, I always ask one last question to finish them up. And, and if you had to recommend somebody – at any level to come on here, man, share their story, share, you know, what they got going on, man, and, and just, you know, kind of drop some more gems on us, man. Who would that be? Man, that's funny. I've been waiting for this question, man, because I was like, oh, man, who am I going to say? I've been waiting for it. Um, and, and so I hope you don't mind, man, but I have two, man. No, that's fine, two man. Put them out there. Have, have really, 
have really impacted me, man. Larry Dixon, who's the assistant coach at South Florida right now. Okay. Um, he was an assistant when I was at Georgia Southern. Man, he took me under under his wing, man, when I was at Georgia Southern and, and taught me so much about the college game and about his experiences. You know, he was a, a, a high school coach after having some time, you know, at the college level and then going back to high school to be a coach and then coming back to college. So I would definitely say him. Um, and then Alex Ireland, somebody I mentioned before, you know, you, you, you want to talk to guys who have an experience at, at different levels. He's a guy that's coached AAU. He's a guy that's been an assistant at the high school level. He's a guy that was an assistant at Valdosta State. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a guy that, that, that worked at Kennesaw State. Then he was a guy that was at Alcorn State. So he's got HBCU, you know, right. uh, knowledge. Then he was at UT Martin. Uh, and then he was at Dalton State. He's the head coach at Dalton State now, which is the NAIA program. So I think that knowledge of different levels can really be informative and impactful for people who want to listen. No doubt, man. We'll definitely make sure we make those connections, man, so we can tap in with them. But, man, again, man, I can't express how how appreciative I am and thankful for you to come on this show, man, and and tell your story and your journey and, man, just the impact that you're making in young people's lives, man. And, again, even coaches' lives, you know, it's been a lot of gems, man, that you've dropped that I've been able to learn from. And, and, you know, as we continue to build our relationship, man, you know, again, like I said, man, I'm just – thankful we was able to get you on here for people to hear your story who haven't heard it or don't know of it yet man and and and, you know yeah man shoot i'm at a loss of words i kind of just went blank (laughs) don't really know (laughs) no no doubt man i appreciate you man and and i've been keeping up with you man i know you're gonna do good things at your new spot man um so let's just keep plugging man let's keep let's keep pouring into to others as as people that poured into us man because neither one of us are here just based on our own merit. We're here because somebody else poured in us and somebody else blessed us with some nuggets, some gems for uh, sure. to help us get to where we are. For sure. For sure. I was about to say, man, this week you got to let somebody else put uh, them nuggets out there on Twitter. I know you usually do it for every podcast you listen to. <laughs> so this week for this one, I don't that's, know if you're going to be able to. That's part of my day, man. I can't. <laughs> that's part of my day, man. I go on a morning run every morning. I listen to one. And I try to have a midday one uh, that I listen to. Um, and, and, you know, you can't bottle everything up and keep it for yourself. You got to share it with somebody else, man. And right. I, I try to do that, man, you know. Um, so that, that that's just really the reason why I do it, man, just so I can share it to somebody else. With some nuggets that I picked up and learned from them, man. And some of those have been really big time, man. No, for like, sure. Some that you can, can take right now and then some that you store away and say, man, Maybe if I ever get to this type of program, if I ever go here, then I'll take that out of the toolbox then. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly, man. So, again, man, I appreciate you. Ain't going to hold you up, man. But, hey, enjoy your evening. And, you know, as always, man, we'll definitely be in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Appreciate you. Thanks again for tapping into Beyond the Hardwood. Just a quick reminder to share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And also, be sure to follow the Beyond the Hardwood IG page as we continue to build this platform. And last but not least, be on the lookout for Beyond the Hardwood apparel coming very soon. And until next time, remember, life goes beyond the hardwood.